Welcome to this week's episode of The Brainy Bunch. I'm Jen, and today we're going to be talking about how video games affect your brain. Do you play video games? If so, you're in company. According to the Entertainment Software Association's 2020 survey and report, more than 214 million people in the United States today play video games one hour or more per week. Video games manage to transcend age and gender, and 64% of U.S. adults and 70% of those under the age of 18 regularly play. With the COVID-19 pandemic, that number can even be speculated to be an underestimation as people try to find new sources of entertainment at home. How is this possible? The diversity of video games. Nowadays, there's a game for everyone. While committed gamers play on consoles or desktop computers built specifically for playing video games, a new breed of casual gamers has emerged through smartphones and tablets. These devices allow people to play whenever they get a spare moment in their day. With the overwhelming popularity of video games comes a series of sensationalist claims about them and their effect on our health and happiness. As someone who plays video games myself, these articles have always driven me crazy with their contradictory claims, lack of scientific grounding, and obvious pandering to whoever their intended audience was. In an attempt to find out the truth, I began to do my own research and found that there is actually no true conclusion to the question of whether or not video games are good for the brain. A well-designed video game is a natural teacher. The technology allows them to provide immediate feedback on a player's success through point systems and punishments. They assist in learning at different rates from when a player is just starting a game to when they're experienced and encountering something new. And they offer opportunities for players to practice their skills until they've mastered them or they've become a part of their muscle memory. Video game players often repeat the same actions as they play, and repetition is just one precondition for long-term potentiation. Many studies suggest that playing video games can lead to a multitude of benefits. A 2002 report from the U.S. Department of Education presents evidence on the effectiveness of educational video games. A study in Nature Neuroscience demonstrates that action games can improve contrast sensitivity in adults, something important for activities such as driving at night. A study involving 33 laparoscopic surgeons linked video game play to improved surgical skill, with the surgeon's amount of game time serving as a better predictor of advanced surgical skill and training drills than their number of years practiced or number of real-life surgeries performed. Other research suggests that video games that include pro-social content, which require players to help each other in nonviolent ways, help people develop collaboration skills. On the other hand, there are also a multitude of studies that suggest video games have negative consequences instead. 
Longitudinal studies support the idea that there is a negative correlation between children's school performance and their time spent playing video games. Other studies have established a link in adults between video games and obesity. Dozens of psychological studies have shown that playing violent video games increases both short and long-term aggressive thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And then there's the question of video game addiction, a disorder that was added in the 11th revision of the World Health Organization's International Classification of Diseases. A quick search on the internet reveals tons of anecdotes from people that claim video games ruined their lives when they became addicted. But these studies mostly show how the people who play video games and their behaviors change, and I wanted to know if there was any neurological basis to these claims. In 2017, a team of researchers conducted a review of 116 different scientific articles to understand the relationship between the use of video games and their neural correlates. 100 of these articles provided functional data and 22 measured structural brain changes. Attentional resources are one of the main cognitive domains in which video games are involved and researched. The studies included in the review show that video game players display improvements in a range of top-down attentional control areas, such as selective attention, divided attention, and sustained attention. Video game players also showed more efficient top-down resource allocation during demanding tasks, requiring less activation to stay focused. Furthermore, High-paced action games are better at improving selective attention than slower-paced games like role-playing games, puzzles, or strategy games. This could be linked to things like the precise timings many action games require, which take extensive use of attentional systems. On the other hand, those slower-paced games require more high-planning skills and other forms of proactive cognitive control. The next cognitive domain that the review covers are visual-spatial skills, a person's ability to identify visual and spatial relationships among objects. In long-term gamers and volunteers that followed a video game training plan, the right hippocampus and the entorhinal cortex showed volumetric increases. These are regions of the brain thought to be directly related to visual-spatial and navigational skills. There is also evidence to show that there is an optimization of cognitive costs in visuomotor task performance. These are usually detected in functional neuroimaging studies, as it takes less to activate the regions linked to the dorsal visual stream. The researchers hypothesize that this happens because performance improves after repeated exposure to the activity, and less cortical resources are then needed for the same task. 
Moreover, the review found that there is evidence to suggest that there are improvements in cognitive control-related functions, particularly working memory, that are linked to changes in the prefrontal areas of the brain, even from short video game trainings. The question is then presented, how can these improvements from video game training be transferred into real-life applications? This remains one of the more interesting questions regarding cognitive control. Despite the fact that evidence shows video games being good candidates for cognitive training, it is still unknown what the optimum training parameters would be to induce this far transfer. The review also finds that cognitive workload studies offer the possibility of observing neural recruitment phenomena to compensate for the difficulty and complexity of a cognitive task. A number of studies have pointed to the importance of frontal parietal activity for this purpose. Video game addiction is also a hot topic, especially because many video games feature addictive design elements. One third of the studies covered by this review actually touch on the topic. The review finds functional and structural changes in the neural reward system in gaming addicts. This was found in part by exposing video game addicts to gaming cues that cause cravings and then monitoring their neural responses. These neural changes found in video game addicts are characteristic of reward deficiencies from dysfunctions in the dopaminergic system, a shared neurobiological abnormality with other addictive disorders. Even when controlling the amount of time playing video games, these neural patterns are markedly different from those in professional and expert video game players. Addicted gamers showed increased impulsiveness and perseverative errors that aren't found in professionals, and also different gray matter volumes in the left cingulate gyrus and thalamus. Changes in gray matter volumes in these areas themselves are indicative of an unbalanced reward system, further solidifying the evidence of neurological differences in those addicted to video games. In regards to violent video games, an area where many psychological studies found negative effects, the review draws many conclusions that ground the neurological bases of claims that violent video games desensitize players to violence. Exposure to violent content is associated with reduced dorsolateral prefrontal cortex activity and interference in executive tasks. The limbic system, which supports emotion, behavior, and long-term memory, is also affected. There are activation changes detected in the anterior cingulate cortex and the amygdala in the presence of violent content. This suggests that the lateral prefrontal regions are working as a defense mechanism against negative emotions by downregulating limbic activity. Furthermore, there are observations that regular gamers are habituated to violence exposure and show less prefrontal activation, which is linked to the limbic downregulation. On the bright side, it was also found that these regular gamers still maintain the ability to distinguish between real and virtual violence. While this review helps us 
learn about how video games in general change the brain on a neurological basis, it doesn't help to explain the multitudes of contradictory studies that show that video games can be both beneficial and harmful to players, or help us regular everyday people determine how we should judge video games based on these studies. In order to in order to better understand how researchers can come to such drastically different conclusions that then become over-sensationalized by mass media, we can try to separate different aspects of video games and their compound effects to better understand these results. One way to separate them, as suggested by Dr. Douglas A. Genetil in an article for the Dana Foundation, is amount, content, structure, mechanics, and context. In regards to amount, it is reasonable to assume that as someone spends more time playing video games, their risk of many negatives begins to increase. These negative effects can range anywhere from poor school performance, becoming overweight or obese, developing carpal tunnel syndrome, or even developing video game addiction. These negative correlations with time spent playing video games may stem from intrinsic characteristics, such as children performing poorly in school, playing more video games to gain a sense of mastery, or adults with compounding life factors that leave them susceptible to any form of addiction, let alone video game addiction. However, this doesn't change the fact that any time spent playing video games is time not spent on activities that might aid the underlying issue. A video game's content may determine what skills players are able to transfer with them to real life. Studies show that games with educational content can improve related educational skills, and games designed to help children manage chronic health problems are more effective than doctor's pamphlets in teaching children to recognize symptoms and manage their medications. On the other hand, studies regarding violent video games suggest that violent tendencies in-game could extend into real life. While this seems intuitive, that one is influenced by the content of the game, and whether or not that content is positive or not, games can also be designed using this knowledge to focus on cognitive and behavioral processes by which learning and transfer occur. For example, in one study, researchers designed a game-like computer training task to improve working memory. The study found that undergoing this training led to a transfer to fluid intelligence, the ability to reason and to solve new problems independently of previously acquired knowledge. The next category Genetil identified, structure, also contributes to the effects of skill transfer seen by different studies. Some games require players to constantly scan the screen for minute changes and respond to these changes. This trains players to be able to shift their attention quickly from the center of the screen to the periphery. 
while this may be seen as a potentially positive outcome, this skill is really only applicable to jobs like an air traffic controller that need to be able to scan all areas, detect changes, and respond quickly. Meanwhile, other games might require players to navigate 3D worlds from their 2D screens. In order to do this successfully, gamers would develop the ability to get 3D information from 2D clues and use it in other contexts. These players would also have to maintain situational awareness of orientation and landmarks in order to successfully navigate these scenes, and this has the potential to improve navigational skills. Genetil suggests that this could potentially explain the findings of the laparoscopic surgeon study, as the surgeons would need to gather detailed 3D information from the 2D screen during their training drills. Mechanics of gameplay also affect what skills can be transferred to real-life situations. For example, Gamers that use a controller to change what a player sees on the screen may improve hand-eye coordination. Games played on keyboard and mouse between dominant and non-dominant hands could improve fine motor skills as the mouse is used to make tiny adjustments. Games that use motion-based controls, like the Wii or virtual reality headsets, could instead improve gross motor skills. Sometimes, the same game can be played through different mechanics, and that would change their skill transferability. For example, I've often heard from friends anecdotally that playing Gran Turismo made them better drivers. However, these are also friends that invested in setups that had a wheel and pedals because they love to play racing games. In that case, someone playing with a wheel and pedals may be more likely to gain real-world driving skills than someone just playing on a controller. The final category is the context of the game. While there is almost no research done in this specific area, we can speculate that the social context of a game could influence its effects on the brain. Games like Destiny 2 and World of Warcraft require sophisticated cooperation and teamwork during raids in order to solve puzzles and clear encounters in order to complete them. Other games, like Valorant or Counter-Strike, require real-time coordinated action and enhanced teamwork in order to defeat the opposing team. These games that require teamwork theoretically could improve a player's skill in cooperation and coordination, all valuable things to daily life. Genetil further speculates that playing violent video games in a social group that encourages aggressive actions might increase aggressive behavior, more so than playing the same game by oneself. Building onto that idea, Online chat functions between opposing players could also increase aggressive behavior. From my own experiences, these online chat functions can be increasingly toxic as opposing players talk dirty to one another as the game progresses. 
I've seen some of my circles of friends encourage this behavior while other circles discourage it. The social context of the game is something that has yet to be studied and could provide interesting insights, especially in this day and age where many competitive esports titles provide such functionalities. Overall, what does this categorization allow for us to do? It allows us to move past the question of whether or not video games are good or bad and instead understand why all of these different studies come to seemingly contradictory results. The answer? They don't. It's just a different level of analysis. Clearly, the question of whether or not video games are good or bad is complicated and completely dependent on the amount people play, the content of the game, the structure of the video game, its mechanics, and the context in which they are played. Knowing this can help people trying to design educational games or cognitive training games make better games, but it doesn't change the fact that games made for entertainment are just that, entertainment. Studies showing benefits or detrimental effects do not merit or demerit them as entertainment. I can't justify the fact that I play popular video games with the fact that there might be transferable skills, just like how people that watch YouTube videos of surgeries aren't suddenly a surgeon. However, that also doesn't change the fact that there might be neurological changes happening inside my brain, just like doing anything habitually might cause neurological changes in your brain. Instead, we should recognize that video games are a powerful source of entertainment for many, and just like other forms of entertainment, should be enjoyed in moderation, and children should be supervised when they play. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Brainy Bunch. I'm Jen, and it's been a pleasure to delve deep into the different studies surrounding video game usage. Tune in next week, where Alyssa will explore another form of potentially addictive technology, social media.